How's everyone doing? Our perspective, our God is bigger now. I hope he's bigger because we're going to have a conversation today that might be a little difficult for us to hear. Uh, anybody surprised by that? Um, we've been in a series actually of the, the hard things, like trying to take some of the, the things that Jesus said in the scripture and really wrestle with them. But um, again, thank you for uh, your participation this last week with our Royal Family Kids Camp. Uh, great week. And uh, as I told you last week, my dream is that we bring that home with us, that the core values of Royal Family Kids Camp are treat people royally, make moments matter, and keep moving forward. And that would be words to live by for every single one of us. In fact, that really fits with last week when we talked about uh, who is my neighbor. And uh, Jesus actually flips the script on that. And it's not about who is my neighbor. It's about how can I be a neighbor to the person that's in front of me. So it's we like to draw lines. In fact, today's sermon is called, Where Can I Draw the Line? Where can I draw the line? Because that's really what we want to know. You know, is there a place, God? I know you say, love my enemies, but you, you, there, where do I draw the line on that one? Um, and I know that today you're going to want me to give you this clear-cut line, um, but I'm not going to really be able to do that. And the reason for that is, is, as we start talking through some of these things, we're all in different places when it comes to um, the topic that we're going to talk about today. But as we've gone through this series, we've talked about um, not so much uh, our goal as believers is not about um, trying to get into heaven. It's trying to get heaven to us. And if we get heaven to us, we'll get into heaven. Because if we learn here on earth to live in the kingdom of God in such a way that heaven appears here on earth, Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's not just miracles and, and power gifts. That's relational as well. That's doing things in community together and putting God on display. All throughout this book, God wanted people not just to declare his message, but to be his message, to demonstrate it. He took a people, the nation of Israel, and he put them in the promised land. He put them in the literal center of the earth at that time period, and he put them on display. Show them what I'm like. And then people would be drawn to that. He put the priest in the middle of the Israelite camp because the priests were to show the people what God is like. And then as a people, they were to show the world what God is like. He has not changed. And yes, we declare the message. Jesus said, go, as you go, heal the sick. Demonstrate the kingdom and then tell them about the kingdom. And we, are, we like to tell about the kingdom, but we don't always necessarily like to display the kingdom, especially when it comes to relational type of issues. But when it comes to this idea of revival in our land, we pray for revival. We pray and we worship and we make declarations and we're like, yes. And I'm like, yes, that's one arm of this thing. The other arm is how we treat other people. You, you can pray and you can declare and you can do all of this that you want to do. But if the church is not walking in unity, there's no revival coming. When God says, love God with all your heart, 
and equally as important, this horizontal love your neighbor who is like yourself. This is what we really need to wrestle with in our lives because we want to put him on display. We talked last week about this idea of illusory superiority where we tend to justify our behavior. That's what the, the, the teacher, of the, the expert in the law was trying to do. Okay, you say I should love my neighbor. Well, then who wanting to justify himself? Who is my neighbor? And we're going to do it again today with this idea of where we draw the line. But remember last week we talked about we're not going to ask who's my neighbor. I'm just going to be a neighbor. And I want my heart to be filled with splachnitzomai. Remember? Splachnitzomai. We want to be filled with the compassion of God. And there's only a few times in Scripture that word compassion, literally meaning compassion from the bowels. And that's weird for us because when we think of bowels, we, we don't think the same as a Hebrew thinks. For a Hebrew, that just means your gut, your inner man. We... Oh, I just feel it in my gut. That type of concept is what they're literally saying. That type of compassion that moves us. And in Scripture, it is only used of Jesus, or Jesus uses it to illustrate in his parable. So the Samaritan, last week in the parable, was moved with compassion so deep that he had to act in an unnatural way. The Samaritan had to stop for someone that he normally wouldn't stop with because he was so moved by and the only way you can get that is from the love of God. As the love of God fills our lives, that's the overflow. Okay, so what I'm saying, this idea of being a neighbor is not cough suppressant. Okay, I gotta be a neighbor, I'm gonna... No, what we need to be is so filled with the love of God that it overflows out of our lives and it moves us from a gut level that says, I have to do something. I cannot just sit by and let that happen. I have to move, even if that person is my enemy. So in Matthew chapter 18, this is where we're going to go. If you have your Bible, you can turn to Matthew 18, or you can use the, the scripture on the screen. Where can I draw the line? Because in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus is talking about forgiveness and reconciliation. And in this room today, there are so many levels of this. There are people in the room who someone has said something that maybe to you that hurt you or they talked about you behind your back and hurt you. And so you maybe got offended by that. And there's this light level of offense. But I also know that there are people in the room on the opposite end of that spectrum that have been victims of abuse, whether that be verbal or physical or sexual, whether it be by a parent or a spouse and so there's this broad range. When we start talking about forgiveness and reconciliation, there's such a broad range here. And so I, I want to be careful that you understand those layers because I cannot give you this definitive step-by-step -step in every scenario way that you have to live. Sometimes you have to wrestle with someone, whether that be a counselor or a pastor or a friend who's a follower of Christ. You have to wrestle, how do I make this work in my one-on-one -on -one situation, like help me process this, especially when it comes to things on this end of the spectrum. Now, if someone said something about you behind your back or someone posted something on Facebook that you took wrong, um, that's on this side of the spectrum, and we all need to just let it go, okay? But on this side, there's sometimes some things that have really got to be dealt with in our own hearts before we can process that through. So if you don't have anyone else to talk to, 
I'm always available, and I'd love to walk with you. I don't have all the answers, but together maybe we can process what to do in your situation. But I want all of us to wrestle with the words of Jesus here in Matthew chapter 18, because these are some hard words to wrestle with. And the discourse that's here in this chapter is not random. It's not like Jesus is like, Um, got four different topics. There's a thread that runs through Matthew chapter 18, and it's the chapter starts by talking about this childlike faith. And Jesus is saying, if you want to enter the kingdom, you got to become childlike, and then we don't want to cause children to, to stumble, and not just necessarily meaning children, but people who are young in the faith. We don't want to be like the Pharisees, that we're putting all kinds of demands on people, but not helping them carry that. I mean, that'd be like taking an infant and saying, make your supper. No, we, I mean, we might want to train them how to do that, and we want them to learn to make their own food, and so we take them through a process. We don't put the demand on them and then walk away from an infant or from a toddler. We train them, and in the same way, when people come to faith, sometimes we just want to throw all kinds of demands on them. You got to do this, and you got to do that, and you got to do this, and you got to do that, and we don't walk through life with them and help them carry those. I'm not saying the, those commands aren't true. I mean, yeah, you can back them up with Scripture, but if you're not willing to walk, don't give them the command. If you're not willing to put your arm around someone and do life with them and help them carry that command, and I, I know we're like, oh, but then they'll go to hell. Individual sin, there's just no easy way to say this, because every one of us in this room, we have sin in our life. Everyone. It's covered by the blood of Jesus. Now, we're working out our salvation, and we're becoming more like him every day, but if one sin is going to keep me out of heaven, I don't have a chance. I don't. Now, I can't look at my life and say, once I know that something's wrong, I can't rationalize and say, well, I know the Bible says that, but I'm going to do it anyway. That's different than I didn't know. And I feel like we put all these demands on people, but we don't have time to help you. You just figure it out. No one helped me. I know, we're already getting deep, and it just, we went crazy fast, but I'll try to slow down. So Jesus then tells about the, nine, the shepherd who leaves the 99 to go after the one. So he's starting to reveal the compassion, the love that's in the Father's heart. I am going to leave the value of the one. God values the one. And the crazy thing is, is he values you. But the weird thing is, <laughs> he values your enemy, too. And so we have to know how to navigate this moment. And then in the middle of the chapter, we're going to pick up in verse 15. If your brother or sister sins or sins against you, literally, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. Verse 16, but if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Now, We like to make this a pattern in the body of Christ, and it's a good pattern, but Jesus isn't saying it always has to be one-on-one. Jesus is saying, keep the circle small. Keep the circle small. What we like to do is when we get offended at something, we like to ask 15 other people what their opinions are, whether or not we should be offended by it, and we don't keep the circle small. There have been times in church history, recent church history, where pastors of megachurches have been accused of sexual harassment, sexual advances against women, and the leadership of that church has told those women, well, you need to go to the pastor one-on-one. False. 
That's a lie from the pit of hell. If someone is sexually harassing a woman, that woman does not go to that person one-on-one ever. We keep the circle as small as possible until we investigate and find out what happened, but never send an abused person or a harassed person to face their their victimizer alone. That's that's a disservice to the, the scripture. And so when we take everything as black and white in scripture and we don't lay it in the context, that's how things like that happen. And so what Jesus is telling us is, hey, keep the circle small because the goal is reconciliation. The goal is not for you to feel vindicated. The goal is not for them to be like you to have give them a tongue lashing so they can feel a little bit of what you feel. That's not the goal. The goal is reconciliation. Now, we're going to talk about it. Reconciliation can't always happen. But whenever I go to someone and I talk about something that's been done that has hurt me in a negative way, I can't say, you always do this or you meant to hurt me. And I have to tell them, hey, here's what happened. These words cut me. These words hurt me. When you did this, it made me very uncomfortable. It, it put me in a situation that I didn't want to be in. And so we take ownership in what's happened. I'm not saying you meant to do it. I'm not trying to accuse you, but I'm saying here's the situation. Because if there's ever going to be forgiveness and reconciliation, we have to call it what it is. We have to call a spade a spade. We can't tiptoe around things in the body of Christ. We have to say, hey, I'm putting this on the table. This happened, and it made me feel like a victim. And then we have to have this dialogue. And as we dialogue, we may need to make the circle bigger and bigger and bigger to try to bring reconciliation. But even Jesus at the end is going to show us there's not always reconciliation. But what we like to do in the church is we like to take what we call the high road, and we're just going to ignore it. Well, yeah, that didn't bother me. I'm just going to ignore it. And if you can do that, if you can go to the Heavenly Father, and you can release that person, and you can just let it go, and you can walk in connection with that person. But what normally happens is we say we're ignoring it, but it eats us up on the inside, and we withdraw from the person who's offended us. And then churches split over the carpet color or over little things. And can I tell you, it's never the little thing. That's just what we use to justify. The problem was the connection that we never dealt with that was broken. And so it's nice for us to say, well, I'm just going to ignore it. I don't want to rock the boat. Honey, you're rocking the boat. Because a root of bitterness can spring up quickly and defile many if we don't deal with it. And For those of you that think there are people on the planet that love to deal with these types of things, well, that's just not my personality. I don't really like to deal with it. Well, none of us do. And if you do, you're probably doing it wrong (laughs) because we just, we, we don't want to make the situation worse, but if we don't bring it into the open, we can't have genuine relationship. We can't have connection. We can't have unity in the body of Christ. So in verse 18, or sorry, 17, Jesus says, if they refuse to listen, tell it to the church, and if they refuse to listen even to the church, so the circle's gotten so big now that it's the body of Christ, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Now, remember how Jesus taught us to treat pagans and tax collectors, because it's easy for us to read that and think, I don't have to have anything to do with them anymore because they're a pagan or a tax collector. 
that's not what Jesus taught. If you want to listen to last week's sermon, you can put that in perspective. So verse 18, truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And as Pentecostals, we'd like to hijack this verse. And what we like to do is we like to bind and loose principalities and powers and spirits, and we're releasing the kingdom of God over situations. And I'm not going to say scripture doesn't speak to that, but Jesus isn't talking about that here. Because in Jewish culture, binding and loosing is wrestling with the scripture. Okay, the scripture says this, the scripture says this. Okay, we have a situation going on, and well, this scripture applies, and this scripture applies, and this scripture, and the community wrestles with all of those things, and then they, as a community, make a determination. And when they make that determination, we've used the illustration in the past about um, driving a car. Jews today will, will, should I drive a car on the Sabbath? Well, the Bible says don't light a fire on the Sabbath. So, okay, well, so does the combusting of the engine, does that create a fire? Is that what Jesus is talking about? And so each community of believers, of Jews, excuse me, will come together and they will wrestle with the Scripture. And if they bind it up, okay, that means, okay, you can't drive. We've decided you can't drive. But if we decide, well, we think we can drive. The Scripture speaks to it, we can. We loose it. Okay, so when Jesus is talking about the church making a determination on a relational conflict, binding and loosing. And see, we bind and loose spirits, but we got all kinds of disunity in the body of Christ, and we wonder why no revival comes. In fact, Jesus said, the world will know we're his disciples by our love for one another. In fact, when they see it in the body of Christ, they'll be drawn to it. And we have yet to put it on display. I mean, I'm not saying we haven't done it at all, but we have not gone to genuine relational level in the body of Christ yet. Where we can actually confess our sins one to another and be healed. Where we can actually do life together, warts and all. And I don't get judged for it. I, don't, I get mercy. I get grace extended to me. I get help. I get value. I get identity. We really are not good at this in the body of Christ, but we are going to be because we have to be. It's what God intended for his people. Then look at verse 19. Truly, I tell you that if two of you agree about anything that they ask for, it will be done for them by my father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. This is the power of unity to release the kingdom of God. When we come to this place of genuine, and you can't take this out of Scripture and just think, well, okay, if we all agree on this one point right here, then, then it'll be done because we agreed on it. No, when we learn to live in this type of connection that's just been described, then we get to do it. But we like to say, verse 20, well, as long as we're gathered in this church service and we sing songs and we pray, and, but we don't have unity, we don't have agreement, we haven't come together. You cannot take verse 19 and 20 out of the context of all of Matthew 18 and think it's just going to work. That's not how it works. This is all about coming together in community in such a way of genuineness and openness and, and just vulnerability with one another that the body of Christ is put on display for a world that's watching. And unfortunately, what we see mostly in the body of Christ today is... Anger towards one another. Who's right? Who's wrong? 
I mean, if we're going to wrestle with the scripture, let's do it behind closed doors. And when we walk outside, we have the same message. So that the world sees our togetherness, our unity, our love, even when we disagree. If you think you're going to join a church where you think like everyone else, where unity is uniformity, you're mistaken. Unity is not uniformity. It's not going to agree on everything. So then Peter, in the midst of all of this, comes up to Jesus, or in the crowd, Peter came, comes to Jesus and says, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? I mean, you've got to understand that rabbis in the day have wrestled with the scripture, and what the Jewish community has come up with overall is that three is the magic number. You should forgive people three times in a day, and after that, then you don't have to forgive them. I don't, it's too long to go into why they think that from the scripture. So Peter, for whatever reason, is either asking a genuine question in response to what Jesus is teaching, because the, what he has just taught them is like mind-blowing, or he's trying to justify himself a little bit, because some scholars even think that Peter's talking about his brother Andrew, my brother. How many times do I have to, to forgive this guy because he's not getting it right? And so Peter thinks in some way that he's being generous because obviously Jesus' teachings always go farther than everyone else's. So maybe up to seven times. Some scholars actually believe this is taking place during the Jewish New Year. Rosh Hashanah, like Rosh Hashanah happens, and then there's 10 days until Yom Kippur, where the Day of Atonement is, and what they do during that 10 days is deal with all their relational conflict. If you have any, because they don't want to come to the Day of Atonement and have any ought against any brother or sister at all. So they actually spend 10 days in fasting and prayer to make sure that when they come to the Day of Atonement, that they're clean in their horizontal relationships. And in the body of Christ, we don't even come close to that. We're super flippant with some of the words Jesus is about to, to talk about. And so Jesus answers in verse number 20, 22, I tell you, not seven times, but this translation says 77 times. Jesus would have spoken more than likely in Hebrew, and so we, the scriptures were written in Greek. So that's why sometimes when Jesus teaches, they have to translate the Hebrew that he spoke into the Greek written form so people can read it. And so when Jesus utters this phrase, 70 times 7 in Hebrew, every Hebrew around that knows the law, the prophets, and the writings is going to say, where does that appear in the scripture? It's always in the text. It's so important that we know the Bible. Because every time a phrase is used in the Bible, it's meant to be tied together with another phrase. We talked about this with love your neighbor, love God, love your neighbor. Same Hebrew phrase connected together. There's only one time this phrase is used in all of the scripture other than here. So it's hard to think Jesus wasn't referring back to Genesis chapter 4. In Genesis chapter 4, there's a verse in 23, 24, where Lamech says to his wives, Hear my words, I have killed a man for wounding you, a young man for injuring you. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times, 70 times seven. 
So the story is Cain killed Abel, and because of that, Hebrew law would allow someone to kill Cain, and so he doesn't want to be this wanderer to be killed, so God puts a mark on Cain, and if anybody kills Cain, he's going to be avenged seven times. Now, Cain's line is given to us here in Genesis chapter 4, and the last person we get in the genealogy of Cain is Lamech. And what is being showed to us is the downward spiral of human nature where one brother kills another. So now we've gone from Cain killing Abel all the way down to Lamech, where Lamech is absolutely proud of the fact that he has killed someone just for wounding him. He has killed someone just for a slight injure, a young person. And he's proud of that fact, and he declares, if Cain is avenged seven times, me 70 times seven. And Jesus brings them into this story and says, you know what, the type of forgiveness that I'm asking of you is this type of forgiveness, but I'm going to flip the script. You're going to have to forgive in the face of this kind of evil, and instead of it going 70 times 7 in that direction, we're going against the tide, and we're going to offer forgiveness 70 times 7. Not vengeance, forgiveness. And in that moment, the gasp, the uh, in fact, when Luke tells this, In Luke's version, the next phrase out of the disciples' mouth is, Lord, increase our faith. Because that's impossible. You think raising the dead is hard. You want us to, in in the face of that kind of evil, you want us to... And Jesus doesn't even pause. In Matthew's version, he just goes right into a story. (laughs) Because it's like, I'm not going to give them a chance to process. Here we go. So we're going to pick up in 23. Chapter 18, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. Verse 27, the servant's master took splachnitzomai on him, compassion from the gut. He took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me. I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant, just as I had on you. In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. We're all very familiar with the verse in Revelation that says, the homosexual offender will have no place in the kingdom of God. And we love to quote that one. But we ought to write verse 35 on our bathroom mirror, on our car, and everywhere we go. 
Because if the same God that's going to hold revelation true, I don't know how he's going to avoid this. And I'm not saying that, that some of the offenses that have happened to us are going to be easy to deal with, but it's time to deal. It's time to stop saying, well, you know, I'm trying. No, it's time to deal. It's time to let God really cut deep in our lives about the things that have offended us and hurt us from our past. If we're going to have forgiveness and reconciliation, let's define those terms. Forgiveness is you don't have to go to the other person for forgiveness. Forgiveness is a release. It's where you release your anger, you release your resentment, you release your hatred, you release the idea of retaliation. It's release. Reconciliation is where we come back together. Forgiveness should happen always. Always. Reconciliation isn't always possible because reconciliation takes two parties willing to do it. And not always are people willing to reconcile. And so you have to weigh out, is me going to that person and, and having this conversation, is it going to bring reconciliation? And sometimes when the offense is small, sometimes we need to take responsibility for it ourselves. Well, but I didn't do anything wrong. I know, but I want to reconcile. And that's the point that Jesus is trying to make here. And so in order to have forgiveness and reconciliation, we have to come to this place where we release the expectation of the offender. We, we release the, the idea that they have to in some way make this right to me. They have to pay me back for how I was made to feel. Forgiveness is about releasing all of that. And forgiveness should happen first between you and the Lord, where you can literally release all of that stuff. I think there's two main things that we need to see in order for this to happen, that we see in this parable that Jesus tells. The first is we need a perspective of our own debt. We need a proper perspective of our own debt. I, I realize not all human debt is equal. Okay, We've talked about that. There's some on this side, there's some on this side, and so there's all kinds of situations and scenarios that fall into this. But in Jesus' illustration, this translation says it's 100 silver coins. The word that's used is the denarii. A denarii is a day's wage. So when you work a day, you get a denarii, you get one day's wage. So if you, as a Hebrew, are going to work six days a week because you don't work on the Sabbath, you're going to work six days a week, it would take you 17 weeks to accumulate this kind of of work to this kind of 100 silver coins. In America, our average daily wage right now, I know that some are above, some are below, the average daily wage is $190 a day. That, 100 times over, is $19,000. So again, this is a significant offense. It's not like this is just, well, this is like some, okay, I read someone's Facebook post that offended me, I'm going to let it go. This is a 19, so somewhere in the middle, okay, the, it, it, at least in the middle. It's big enough. And I've, I've always, when I preach on this, I always tell people, if $19,000 is not big enough to you, come see me after church and I'll tell you how to spell my last name for the check. Because $19,000 is a big deal. It's a big debt that someone owes us. 
But Jesus compares it in the parable to 10,000 gold coins. That word is the word talent. There are 6,000 denarii in a talent. A denarii is a day's wage. It would take you 20 years to earn one talent. 20 years, one talent. This man owed 10,000. He owed 60 million denarii, 60 million daily wages. It would take him 200,000 years to pay back the roughly 11 billion dollars that he owed. Impossible. Not possible. I mean, Jesus uses this number that they're like, I mean, it's like us talking about the national debt. <laughs> you just can't even wrap your mind around it. And the idea that we're ever going to pay it back, we all know, even those of us that are the, the most hopeful in the world, uh, realize there's just no way to pay it back. It's impossible. That's what's happening here. And Jesus takes that because he wants to remind us. I know that I feel like, well, I'm not as bad as that person, but we all have the illusory superiority where I think that I'm not as bad as the other guy, but my debt is that big. And God forgave it because of his compassion when I asked him to. How can I hold that $19,000 offense against that person? I don't realize what I've been forgiven of. I don't realize the debt that he has made for me. See, in Colossians 3.13, it says, Bear with each other, forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. So unless someone accumulates over $11 billion of a debt offense towards you, forgiveness always has to happen. Always has to happen. Matthew 6, we were taught to pray in verse 12. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you don't forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. We need the perspective of our own debt. But we also need a perspective of humanity. What we fall into is this idea that we're, we dehumanize our offenders, our enemies. That's our, our culture today. It's easy for us to like call people names and spout off about politicians or U.S. women soccer players or other people that we disagree with and use terrible words to describe them because we disagree with them. And yet... Jesus is reminding us that in order to be moved with compassion, you have to see the value of the one. Never allow yourself, never allow anyone to be dehumanized in your eyes. Even the worst offender on the planet has value in the face of our Creator. That does not mean there should not be consequences. It does not mean that we should reconcile with everyone. We, all, we, we can't always. But forgiveness, always. I cannot hold against anyone because of the debt I was forgiven of. So we're not talking about avoiding responsibility or pl please do not walk out of here and think you should reconcile with every person in your life. I guarantee you that some of you are not in a place where you should reconcile every relationship in your life. That's a process that has to take and it has to take two parties willing to do that. But Jesus says there needs to be an acknowledgement of the wrong 
but there needs to also be a recognition of the humanity. And when we come to this idea of forgiveness, we're just, we're, we're releasing so that reconciliation, reconnection could be possible. When it comes to forgiveness, there's a cost because there's a debt. The debt can't just be forgiven. I mean, I know in our political culture, we like to just think the debt can just be forgiven. <laughs> but somebody has to pay the cost. It can't just be forgiven. And it's the same. I mean, our $11 billion debt, God just couldn't say, oh, yeah, it's gone. There had to be a cost. And Jesus stepped into that picture willingly. And he took that cost for every single one of us. And so I know when his words come to us and say, you have to forgive that person who wronged you, that's a cost. And the debt might be 20 bucks. It might be 19000 It might be 100000 It could be up to a million. And as the forgiver, as the releaser, I'm the one that has to bear the cost. That doesn't seem fair, does it? I mean, I had to be hurt. And now I have to absorb the cost. But Jesus' parable shows us there's a cost either way. Because if you hold on to it, and you don't absorb the cost and release, if you hold on to it, you're going to come to a place, literally a prison, where you're tortured. There's a cost, either way, and there needs to be a death, and not the death of our offenders, our own death, where we're willing to lay our lives down and say, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. They're deceived. Oh, I know, these are the hardest words in the world to think we would utter towards someone who has wronged us, but it's often been told that bitterness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. It just doesn't happen. And so we, we justify our withdrawal. And yes, there are times that we can't reconcile with people, but I think there's also times where we justify not being reconciled to people, and that's not okay. It's just because we're unwilling to pay the cost. And Jesus teaches the way out of the torment, just offering mercy, just being willing to pay the cost. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus says these words, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. And then a good measure pressed down, shaken together, running over, getting as much in there as we can, will be put back into your lap. For the measure you give will be the measure you get back. And we mistakenly put that with just the last phrase of the verse before. And we say, if you give, God will give back to you. Yes, it's true. If you forgive, God will forgive back to you. The same measure that you use, God measures back. This is why it's so important to release. And I don't understand 
why these words don't keep us awake at night. Because they should. I can't hold on to these offenses. This should be at the top of my prayer list. If I see someone in this community or in my family or I think about someone and there's like this on the inside of me, that person needs to be on the top of my prayer list to be released every single day. Every single day. I'm going to release every day. And one of these days, there's not going to be an until there is, I'm going to release every single day. Because I'm going to fight for the type of unity that's going to put God on display on this earth. Jesus also taught us in Matthew that if you are at the altar, and the altar would be in Jerusalem where you're giving a gift, a sacrifice, and he's teaching in Galilee, which is a two days journey to the north. If you remember, your brother has something against you. Leave your gift, take a two day journey back home, get things right with your brother, which may take a while, and then take the two day journey back and then offer your gift. This is how it's, this is so important. And we brush over it, but we, we like to preach who's not going to heaven. And we forget, perhaps it might be me, because I refuse to let go. One last verse, and then we're going to pray. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I love how the Apostle Paul puts this together, and I feel like it fits so well with this message. All of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And he gave us this ministry of reconciliation. He wants us to have this ministry of reconciliation, bringing people together. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Every person's sin on the planet is already forgiven in God, in Christ. Now, that doesn't mean everyone's reconciled, because what do you got to do to reconcile? You got to come to him and ask. But everyone's sin is done. It's cared for. It's totally wiped away. But you've got to come to God and reconcile. And how you do that is by admitting you've done wrong and asking him to forgive your debt. That's reconciliation. He committed to us the message of reconciliation. And we are Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And how can we possibly preach that message when we're not even reconciled to one another? We've got to put the message on display. Preach it, yes. Live it more. Be reconciled to God and one another. And the biggest mistake we make is that we think we can be right with God, but we don't have to worry about our relationship with one another. And Jesus shoots all kind of holes in that theory. And he says, how you treat your neighbor is really the litmus test for how much you've let my love and compassion invade your heart. So questions. Here's what I want us to wrestle with. Do I have proper perspective of my own debt? Do I have a proper perspective of my own debt? Do I see myself in my offender? Jesus used the exact same phrase. Be patient with me. Be patient with me. I will pay you. I will pay you. Do I see myself in my offender? Because I'm just like them. 
Am I growing in the compassion of my Father? Then it gets a little more personal. Who do I need to forgive? Who do I need to release? And where can I strive toward reconciliation? Where can I strive toward reconciliation? Maybe it's with God. Maybe your offense isn't towards another person. Maybe it's toward God. And that's your first place that you need to reconcile. And then how do I reconcile with that other person? So with those questions in our mind, let's pray. Father, we admit today that we want to draw lines. We, we want to place limits on our forgiveness. It just seems, it seems wrong to let people get away with things. And yet in this parable, it reminds us that it seems like you did that to us. God, I know that I'm not even fully aware of all the sin that is currently in my life right now. I know there are things I'm aware of, things that I'm struggling with and things that I'm working on, but there's probably more that I'm not aware of yet than I am aware of. And so, God, I need a proper perspective of my debt. That's what we need, Lord. Holy Spirit, give us that perspective. Forgive us for dehumanizing the people around us, the people that have offended us or hurt us. Forgive us for not seeing them through your eyes as your son, as your daughter, for allowing the offense to become greater in our eyes than you. Your word says that you are able to sympathize with us in everything. And I know that you took a penalty far greater than anything any of us will ever face in this life. You emptied yourself. You humbled yourself. You never committed any sin. And yet you chose to come to this earth and to take every single one of our debts so that it could be forgiven. We know that we need your compassion and your love to so fill our hearts so that we're willing to do the same. So that we're willing to release those who have wronged us, those who have hurt us. Father, I pray give strength today, especially to those in this room, God, where the offenses are so great. And the idea of forgiveness seems so insurmountable. Father, give grace to begin to release right now. To begin to release. To begin to let go. Begin to put your your compassion in their hearts. To even begin to humanize that person again. Father, I pray give great wisdom to us to know how to work towards reconciliation, to know when it's not the right time to be reconciled. God, to know that we're not supposed to put ourselves back into that situation 
like the, the woman in the sexual harassment to go before her, her abuser. God, help us to know how to walk out reconciliation. But forgive us for the times that we have held on to things that we should have more easily let go of. And in our righteous indignation have caused rifts in your body. Holy Spirit, I pray this week, grip our hearts with this message. That our hearts literally would would begin to burst. That we would act in unnatural ways to show your love, to show your mercy, and to show your compassion to those who don't deserve it. Because that's what you did for us. Before we close today, as your head is bowed, your eyes are closed, I'm not going to pick at any scabs of forgiveness or reconciliation. I'm going to trust that the Holy Spirit's going to work that message into your heart. Please hear me today that my desire is not to make your situation harder, but it's to show you the true path to freedom. But I do want to ask, if you're in this room and you're not reconciled to God, and today you want to say, I want to be reconciled to God. I want to admit that I have a debt that I can't pay. But I believe He paid my debt. And I want to ask Him to forgive that debt. And I want to commit to live in His kingdom with that kind of love, with that kind of passion, with that kind of right living. And I want to get into His Word and I want to follow Him. I know it's going to be hard and I know it's going to be difficult, but I just don't think there's any other way. And if that's you and you say, Pastor Tom, I want to be reconciled to God and I want to pray that today. Would you just lift up your hand right where you are and say, I want to be reconciled. I want to come back to God. I want to live for Him. Well, Father, then I pray, give us grace. We know these are hard words, but we know that you're going to give us the enablement to walk them out. Holy Spirit, help us. Help us when we're faced with the challenge, probably even in the next half hour, some of us. Holy Spirit, give us the strength to walk out these words and to put you on display. Thank you for the debt that you paid for each and every one of us. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I know that's a hard message, and I'm going to trust that God's going to work it into our heart all week and probably for the rest of our lives. And so um, thank you for being here today. Uh, Don't forget there's a table in the back uh, if you have offering that you want to give or if you want to pick up a Connect card or any of the things that are out there, the schedules, um, the ministry registrations. And uh, God bless you as you go today. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next week.